I've been doing a series called Putting on Your Best Face. The whole purpose of this series, Putting on Your Best Face, we look at the face of our physical body. Uh, with some, you can't do much, like with mine. It is what it is. We have the face of our soul, and we have the face of our spirit. The face of our soul is a conflicted face. It's often a broken face. It definitely is in our best face. And uh, if you haven't been here over the last few weeks, I encourage you to have a look at uh, the podcast. But the soul is the realm that consists of that fallen nature. It has the knowledge of good, but it also has the knowledge of evil. Whereas your spirit has been kept free from the fall and it doesn't contain the knowledge of evil, it only has the knowledge of good. My, my sermon title today is Guard Your Heart. The heart and the word soul are interchangeable throughout Scripture. They are different words, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, and yet they always reflect and give uh, evidence to the same functions of the human being. And so the heart and the soul are one and the same. And in Proverbs chapter 4, I'm going to read it from the NIV. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. You see, we've talked about the fact that the heart, the word lebe in the Hebrew, is the realm of your, the mind of your intellect, the mind of your emotions, and your will. And here, the, the Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, says, guard your mind, guard your emotions, because out of it, Everything you do will flow from what you've settled, concluded, and summarized in your mind and your emotions. In other words, your world will be colored and tainted by the conclusions, the summations that you come to about life and in life. And the emotions that you attach to those conclusions will affect how you look at people of different nationality and different culture. It'll affect how you look at life. It'll affect how you look at yourself. Whether you see yourself as lovable or unlovable. Whether you see yourself as a failure or whether you see yourself as God's great delight. Guard your heart, guard your soul, guard the realm of what you put down in your mind. The belief systems, the judgments, the conclusions that you come to as life happens around you. What conclusions do you come to about yourself? What analysis do you come to about God and God's will for you? What are the conclusions you come to about how people will treat you? Guard your heart, guard your soul, watch out for what you lay down in your thoughts, in your belief systems, and allow your emotions to attach to that because every thought will be tied to an emotion. 
You can't talk about, if you believe who you are in Christ, you can't talk about who you are in Christ and feel depressed at the same time. You can't, not if you really believe it. If you believe who you are in Christ, there's an emotion connected to that. They get welded together. They get stamped together. And so as we go through trauma in life, we come to conclusions about life because of the traumas we experience. And with those thought patterns that we sum up the situation with is attached an emotion. Guard your heart, guard your soul, for out of it, well, the NIV says, for everything you do will flow out of it. It'll taint your life. It'll adjudicate where you go and what you become. In the King James, it reads a little different, and I love both of these translations. They're both good. It says, keep your heart or your soul with all diligence. Watch that area of your thought life and your emotions, for out of it will come the issues of life. You see, what that's saying is, be careful what you conclude and summarize about circumstances in life because out of your belief systems, out of your emotions, those will drum up issues that you will have to contend with in the future. You see, as a man thinks, so is he. As a man concludes in his heart, as a man concludes in his soul, that gives credence to either this, uh, it gives power either to the Spirit of God to do according to your faith, or it gives power to the enemy to do according to your faith. You see, Jesus always said, according to your faith, be it unto you. What we don't realize is that based on the things we have summarized in our minds about ourselves, that we're a loser, we're a failure, it will recreate in the hands of the enemy, negative thoughts like that in the hands of the enemy will create issues for you five years down the road, one year down the road, 30 days down the road, and the issues we struggle with in life are because our thought life, our thought belief system, and our emotions have become contaminated with the knowledge of evil. Thank you. Thank you, Jade. Missed you the last couple of weeks. I need to hear that. <laughs> if you're not here next week, we're going to put a tape recording of your voice right there, and I'm going to get Diane to press play every once in a while. Good on you, Jade. <laughs> I want to show you a couple of diagrams. If I could have diagram number one. The soul, the heart, is that realm of your intellectual mind and your emotional mind. Say, I have an emotional mind? Yeah, a lot of us reason with our emotions. I was paralyzed with fear till I was about 13 years old. Fear is not always logical. In fact, fear usually is not logical. And some of the things I was afraid of was so downright stupid. For example, 
I mean, I, I really, I had to get set free. I had to be delivered. I remember the day and the place it happened. A friend of my father's came to preach in my father's church. His name was Peter Vacker. He was the pastor of an Australian church. And he's preaching. I can't tell you what he preached. I don't know what he said. But as he was preaching, I started to shake and fear was all over me. In the middle of my father's church. The man wasn't preaching condemnation. He was a real grace preacher. He wasn't preaching hellfire and damnation. Uh, I know him. I actually did Bible school under him. So I know what he's about. It wasn't the content of what he was preaching that was bringing fear. The content of what he was preaching was exposing a strong man that was inside of me. And my fears were so irrational. And that day, I went out the front, and I remember he asked me, what do you want me to pray for you for? I said, I don't know. I just feel afraid. And he cast out a spirit of fear, and it started to change my personality. In fact, it allowed my personality to be in the image of my creator, the destiny I was always meant to be. strongholds of the enemy, demonic entities come into our thinking and our emotions and they will cripple aspects of our personality and our character. What they do is they will filter out the God-likeness that we're destined to represent and they will bring the weakness of the kingdom of darkness. And that's why our soul is awfully often our ugly face. Because in there, you will find suspicion, jealousy, fear, inferiority, rejection. My goodness, I, 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 I had so many problems when I was a kid. I, I am happy to confess and came to realize over a period of time in my life, I got delivered of a spirit of inferiority. So if I sound raucous and bold and typically New Yorkish, I wasn't that way. This is the new me. I'm healed. I'm set free. And the redeemed are as bold as a lion. And if you don't like it, I'll help set you free from the spirit of fear. <laughs> the redeemed are as bold as a lion. But I, I had a spirit of inferiority. Uh, I am not exaggerating. My personality was so different. You would never, ever, ever recognize the child that I was. We used to have family gatherings, and uh, uh, we'd go to, uh, my grandparents lived on, in this house, and two uncles lived in this house, which was like a duplex of houses, and one lived on top, one lived on the bottom. And of all the cousins, I was a little scaredy cat. I had cousins younger than me, but I was the scaredy cat. I was the crybaby, and I was afraid of everything. And my uncles used to take great joy and great delight in taking me in their arms and holding me. It's crazy, but anyway, uh, they saw the vulnerability, and they would tease me that over their fence was this mean man, this monster, and he would come and get me. And I remember clearly to this day being absolutely petrified, screaming and crying, and all my other cousins are laughing, and all the adults are going about doing their own business, and I'm hearing uh, like uh, ambulance or police sirens going off in the distance, and I'm thinking, God, please send them to save me. 
Fear deeply was rooted in my character and my personality, filled with inferiority, filled with rejection. And I got set free from those three demonic entities. No, my head never spun around in 360 or anything like that. But I got set free. Don't think it's such a foreign thing. You see, you were created and designed to, resp to be resplendent with the glory of God. But there are broken areas in us where strongholds are, demonic entities, and they, they filter out the glory of the goodness of God and they overshadow us with the decrepitness and the weakness of their character and personality. And those things become our limitations and our inhibitors. You weren't designed to be in a cage. You weren't designed to be handicapped. You weren't designed to be bound by inferiority or fear or rejection or paranoia or schizophrenia, or anything like that. You were designed to reflect, to be full of, to be resplendent with the glory and the image of God Himself. So if that's the will of God, that's how He created man. When He designed man, that's what He coded into His genetic makeup. God decreed man will be a phantom of me in my shadow, in my image. Then you can surely come to agreement if that's what it says in Genesis, then it is not God's will for you to have uh, all kinds of paranoias and fears and complexes. Uh, it is not the will of God. It is the will of God to set you free. John says in his letter, as he is, so are we now in this world. You see, I've come to believe this stuff so much that the lies of fear, the lies of inferiority, and the lies of rejection got replaced by the truth of God's word, and the armor in which the strong man trusted got pulled down from off of him, and I got set free. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So your soul or your heart is the realm of your intellectual mind, your emotional mind, and your will. You see, I'd be afraid to go to the bathroom at night. I'd turn every light on. I was 13 years old. Don't tell anyone. I'm going to share this with you in confidence, Scott. Don't tell anyone. 13 years old, if I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I had to turn on every light in the house. And you know what my fear was? that I'd get sucked into the toilet bowl because there was someone in there waiting to get me. Would you want that job? Would you want that job? Would you want that job? Can I ask you a question? Is there any logical way that you could even get into my toilet bowl? <laughs> but that fear paralyzed me. Fear knows no logic. And what we often manifest in our lives is the overshadowing of a demonic spirit, crippling and thwarting the greatness we're meant to represent. 
through Jesus Christ. But we's going to get set free today. Can I get an agreement? So we're going to go to the next slide. So in the intellectual mind, now I know that the, the brain is broken up into the frontal lobe and, you know, about, I think, six or seven different parts. But for the sake of this sermon today, I take the intellectual mind and it's made up of memories, long-term, short-term, conscious memories, and suppressed memories. Some long-term memories are conscious, some of them are suppressed. Some short-term memories are conscious, some are suppressed. The ones that are suppressed are generally, it is the, the soul's way to protect us from trauma. And the trauma we endured as children or as young adults or even as adults, uh, the soul has a way to almost cause us to not remember so that we're not living in the repeat of the memory of the trauma. Okay, so suppressed memory. The mind is also made up of belief systems, values, ideology, perspectives, and judgments. You are taught things. Ideologies could be anything from evolution versus creationism. Uh, ideology, uh, me first, everyone else last. It's the survival of the fittest. Did you know that, you know, we, we, we talk about the survival of the fittest, and Darwinists, people who are into uh, evolution, really love this. Evolution happened because of survival of the fittest. That is the evidence of a fallen world. That is the evidence of a fallen nature. In the kingdom of darkness, it's survival of the fittest. In the kingdom of God, there's no such concept of survival. We don't have to survive. In the kingdom of darkness, the concept of survival is there because imminent threat and death is always lurking around us. You see, we regurgitate so much garbage from the world, we don't even realize that we've accepted principles of darkness and they've become part of our normality and we just think that's how life is. In the beginning, it wasn't that way. And it was never meant to be that way. And at the restoration of all things, when Jesus Christ comes back again and the new Jerusalem comes back down out of heaven and is back on the earth like it was in the garden where God walked in the cool of the day with man, at the restoration of all things, you will see that will not be the order of the day. You see, in a fallen world, in a fallen nature, it's survival of the fittest. Survival is an oxymoron to the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, it's not survival of the fittest. We are fit to thrive. We go from life to life more abundantly. Everything in the kingdom of darkness is the opposite to what we see in this world. This is a fallen world. So ideology. Oh, it's survival of the fittest. So it's dog eat dog. I'm going to be rough. I'm going to be tough. They're not going to get the better of me. And it affects our personality. It affects our character. It affects our attitude. People around us will see it and most will go, ooh, yuck. 
what we lay down in our belief systems will taint the world we live and the world we see. Are you hearing me? Judgments. Judgments. You go through a trauma. You go through uh, a horrendous experience. And you come to conclusions. I'm not lovable. I'm not acceptable. All men are abusive. And every man from my childhood has always abused me. Or all women are dominating and, and demanding. We, we come to conclusions in the moments of our hurts. And in our bruises, we start to summarize. We start to sum up summations. And this summarizing uh, natural tendency that we have... We, we, we make judgments about people. We make judgments about circumstances. We make judgment about color. We make judgment about issues or types of things. And we make judgments so that we can build a wall and say, you don't go beyond this wall. It's not safe on the other side. And on the other side, your fear could be men. Men will always abuse you. Men will always hurt you. It could be rich people. Rich people will always take you down. It could be white people. White people will always hate me because I'm a black person. It could be a, a, um, a white person who has negative images about black people. We, we create summations or judgments because they become our boundaries so that we feel safe and protected. But what we don't understand is that what we judge, don't judge because you will be judged. In other words, the wrong judgments that we come to in the hurts of life become the things that act as judgments against us. Right. Hang on a second. Good preaching, Pastor Ram. That was good preaching. <laughs> judge not lest you be judged. When we judge, we often conclude and sum up and come to conclusions erroneously and those things become part of our belief system and they get wired to our emotional responses as well. They become what we think is our safety net or a wall of protection. Folks, hear me. They are not walls of protection. What they are are barriers that stand in contradiction to to the truth of God and they become embattlements and they become strongholds for the demon who lives inside of our wound and inside of our bruise. And he is very happy to sit there for the rest of your life and color your, wor your world and color your life from that wrong judgment that you made all because you were wounded and you were just trying to protect yourself. The third part of the intellectual mind is that realm where we reason and we logic. We analyze, we rationalize, and we summarize, and then we shove it into our belief systems. Next slide. Your memories are long-term, short-term, conscious, and suppressed, and they are often the result of life experiences. You can take photos of these 
It's quicker than trying to write it all out. Your memories are long-term, short-term, conscious, and suppressed. They are the result of life experiences. Let's have the next slide. Your belief systems are values, ideology, perspectives, and judgment. They are formulated by your life experiences. You will have an experience in life, and it will formulate or help to formulate your values, your ideologies, your perspectives, and your judgment. They are formulated by life experiences, and they are formulated by knowledge acquired and believed. When you hear something, you haven't necessarily received knowledge. When you put credence to it, you have believed in it, and what you've done is you have stamped it down into your belief system, and you just knitted it into the fabric of who you will become. Because as a man thinks, so shall he be. And number three... The next slide, reason and logic. We reason and logic through the eyes of our life experiences and through the knowledge that has been acquired and believed. Things your daddy's always told you. Things your mommy's always told you. Your parents have shaped your world. Hopefully they shaped it from a God perspective. Train up in a, a child in the way that he should go. Why? Because you would train up in a, ch a child in a way they shouldn't go. And too often times, how we're trained in our childhood, what was in the heart of mommy and daddy could be the result of their own hurts and their own wounds and their own bitterness and their own forgiveness. And so sometimes they speak out of their trauma. You know... Um, this is going to sound really silly, but to me it was a huge thing and a real thing. Uh, I told you I had a lot of issues. I had a lot of problems, especially as a kid. I was born sickly. Uh, the day I was born, I was allergic to water. Uh, they couldn't wet my skin with water. I would break out in uh, skin rashes and reactions and start to cry. I had to be washed with oil. So I was allergic to water as a child. My parents thought it was really good. Every time they rubbed oil on me to wash me, they figured we're anointing him. We're baptizing him into the Italian nationality. We're going to make him a greasy wog. I was allergic to my mother's milk. I was allergic to formula. The only thing that would not make me cry and have tremendous cramps, this is from infancy. Uh, they finally found that the only thing I could drink was goat's milk. It stunk going in, and it go, when it goes through your body, it goes through the multiplier of 10. It stunk even more coming out. Thirteen years old, fourteen years old, after I got set free from the spirit of fear, there was something that would still haunt me. All I had to do, and I lived in Australia. How many of you know that Australia's got like, you know, all the top most poisonous spiders and all the top most poisonous snakes, right? I lived in Australia and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? With all my fears and phobias. But even after I got set free from spirit of inferiority and fear, there was one thing that tagged me, 
It hung on to me. And it was embarrassing. It's going to sound silly to you, but to a young guy, you know, who wants to be tough and cool and, you know, he's with it, it was very embarrassing. If I saw a spider, I would automatically go into a spasm and shake. It was just involuntary. I didn't volunteer. Me, me, me. It would just happen. And so if I saw a spider, I would just shake and, and, and get creeped out. Now, you're 15 years old, and you're hanging out with some cute little things. You don't want them to say, oh, look, an incy tweensy spider, and here you are freaking out and bugging out all over the place. Not cool. I used to rebuke it. I used to say, I don't have a spirit of fear anymore. And one day, God opened my mind. He took some covers back and he showed me a picture of me as an infant. And either, and I don't, I don't know for sure if it was a spider on the wall, if the spider was near me, and my mother freaked out and started yelling and screaming. And her panic and her fear stamped the image of a spider and the emotion that she was emitting, it caused trauma in me as a child, and it became a place where a little strong man was holding areas of my memories that were suppressed. And from the day that the Holy Spirit revealed it to me, I rebuke it, I shook it off. Now I'm telling you, I, I grew up in Australia, right? We had a ton of spiders. God is my witness, I got so delivered that in the middle of the night, I would wake up and there'd be a spider crawling on me and I would just shake it off, no problem whatsoever. But these things are real. And our mind and our emotion makes imprints and wires our brain and causes reactions. But in the trauma Often a strong man will hide and he will pull the strings. He will pull the triggers. You know, I said last week that the soul is often like a pinball machine and we're the pinball bouncing around because someone pressed our hot button, someone pulled our trigger, we stepped on a landmine or tripped over a trip wire and explosive emotions all over the place. Are you with me? Am I talking to anybody here? Is this relevant? Amen. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we, we reason and we logic, we analyze, rationalize, summarize based on life experiences from the past. It's tainted and tainted by knowledge acquired and believed. All right. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 to 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The whole purpose of this series is to help you recognize what your soul looks like, what it sounds like. So you could recognize, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. How do we know the voice of Jesus? When we recognize his character, when we recognize his heart, we can recognize his voice. You see, because I know his heart and I know his character, when the devil talks to me, I go, nah, that ain't Jesus. Shut up, devil. Get behind me. You see? And so 
Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. I want you to understand what your soul sounds like because unless we learn to say no to our soul, if we don't recognize when our soul is speaking, we're going to live out of the face of our soul, and our soul is in our prettiest face. Out of your soul will come the knowledge of good, but it will also come the knowledge of evil. Okay? But out of your spirit will only come the knowledge of good. Your spirit did not get corrupted in the fall. Your soul did. Your spirit is always inclined. If you were here last week, I showed you from Scripture and I showed you from the Greek that the spirit is, when Jesus said the spirit is willing, what it actually means in the Greek is that the spirit is always inclined to be in agreement and leaning and predisposed to the will and the ways of God. Okay? So, uh, 2 Corinthians, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Let's have the next part of the verse. We demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now I want to break this down. Uh, as I, I find it is such a revelation to go back to the Hebrew, go back to the Greek. In the case of the New Testament, we go back to the Greek. And I want you to look at a couple of words here with me. Matt, were we able to get these words? You're, you're an ace. Thank you, Tony. You guys are fantastic. Uh, the first word we're going to look at is the word arguments. We demolish arguments. Now, it says that we demolish strongholds. Is these, are those strongholds of Jesus? Obviously not. We don't want to destroy or demolish strongholds of Jesus, right? You see, if you read this in context, he's talking to the church, about the church. There are attitudes in the church there are dispositions, there are things that people are saying, and they're out of order. And Paul says, I'm going to come there and I'm going to set it right. And I'm going to pull down all of these wrong attitudes and these wrong dispositions, and we will punish any disobedience that won't be dealt with. He's not talking about the world, he's talking about the church. So Paul is talking about strongholds in us, the church. Read it in context. Go home. See if I'm a liar. Come on. See if I'm a false prophet. Go home. Read it in context. The word arguments is the word logismos, reasoning, thought, conception, personal opinion, arguments, and judgment. And it says here in Scripture that we demolish arguments, reasoning, thought, conception, personal opinion, arguments, and judgment. Pretension, hupsoma, the word pretension in the Greek is the word, next slide, hupsuma. It'll be up there in a minute. And it means elevated structure, barrier, barricade, rampart, which is a defensive wall of a castle. So he's talking about thoughts and he's saying your thoughts are 
can be like elevated structures. They are barriers between you and God. They are barriers between your best self and your, your worst self. They will stop you from being the best person you could be. They are barricades. They are defensive walls of a castle that makes up part of the stronghold where the enemy is hiding. You see, the enemy lives in thought. God inhabits the praises of his people. How many of you have ever heard or read that scripture? Give me a wave, say amen, tap your foot. Just a few of you. How many of you have ever heard God inhabits the praises of his people? God inhabits. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. He didn't say my words are spiritual. He said my words are spirit. My words are spirit. The tongue has the power of life or death. When the word of God spoke the will of God at creation, the spirit of God inhabited those words and made creation happen. And so words are powerful things, thoughts, belief systems. The judgments that you come to in life can either become the feeding ground of the Holy Ghost or it can become the feeding ground of demons. And here Paul is talking about arguments, thoughts, opinions, judgments that become elevated structures. They are barriers. They are barricades. They are the defensive wall of a castle. Uh, They are the defenses of a stronghold. The next word. Let's have the next word. He says, knowledge of God, gnosis. The knowledge of God the doctrines of God, the wisdom of God. So it says here, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish fortresses of demons, strongholds. We demolish thought patterns, judgments, opinions that are barriers to the will of God and to the experience that God wants us to have in life, these barriers, these conclusions, these belief systems are, they set themselves up against the doctrines of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, and we need to take every thought captive. Let's look at the word thought. And the word thought, very simply, in the Greek, means thought. Noema, thought. But if you look up the helps word study book and look under the reference of 3540, it goes on to say that thoughts are systematic understandings. The personal verdict, conclusion, belief system that comes out of using one's mind. We take the belief systems, the values, the judgments that have been layered in our mind through experiences in life and through the things we've been taught and we've received and believed, they become barriers to God's supernatural. They become barriers to God's character. They become barriers and stop us from reflecting the glory and the wholeness and the completeness of Jesus Christ. Paul 
pause. Good preaching, Pastor. Look at this. We looked at the phrase, the knowledge of God, which is gnosis, the doctrine, the wisdom of God. Can I show you something that no one ever showed me? I've never heard this preached in this morning, in the wee hours of this morning. The Holy Spirit said, I want you to look up the Hebrew for the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. I want to show you something. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2 where he talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and chapter 3 where they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the, uh, according to Brown's Driver and Briggs, which is the standard reference book for biblical Hebrew and Aramaic, they write, uh, let's go to the slide there you go, good. To be is good. Everything that's good, the knowledge of good, the knowledge of pleasant and agreeable. Agreeable. Everything that agrees with the knowledge and the wisdom and the character of who God is. Do you know what the knowledge of evil is? You see, you go to jail, you serve time in jail, and they call it, in, in the criminal scene, they call it college because you come out more educated about how to do wrong things. So you go to jail for a misdemeanor and you come out knowing how to break a safe and rob a bank of a million dollars, okay? They call it college. Uh, we think of the knowledge of evil, how to do something that is terrible, how to rob a bank, how to stick someone up, how to uh, uh, defraud the insurance company. The knowledge of evil, let's go to it, is everything that's bad, malignant, and everything that is in disagreement with the knowledge of who God is and the knowledge of God's wisdom. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had the knowledge of everything that reflects God's wisdom. And it had fruit of the knowledge that is everything that is in disagreement with God. You see, we think of the knowledge of evil and we say, well, I would never eat. I don't want the knowledge of evil. I don't want the knowledge of bad things. Every knowledge that we've cemented in our brain, every belief system, every judgment, every conclusion that you've come to through circumstances in life or that have been dialogued down to you by mama and papa, every word that has ever been spoken, every conclusion we've ever come to that doesn't agree with God's wisdom and God's perspective and God's doctrine and God's knowledge is the knowledge of evil. So watch this. Let's go to, simply put, we're going to take 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to rewrite it and read it to you in light of everything we've just learned. Okay? So, you, 
If you've been wounded and hurt, I had an experience. My parents moved to Australia because there was a huge Italian immigration. And the Italians in Australia were first generation. Here in America, we were second and third generation. My dad uh, met my mother in Italy, came to America, married her. English wasn't his language. The movement they were a part of got calls and letters from Australia. They were Italian immigrants looking for an Italian-speaking preacher. My father responded to the call. The whole family moved to Australia. Yay, wonderful thing. I went on a work excursion with my friend's father. My, father, uh, my friend's father worked as a gardener, a landscaper for the city. They were having a Christmas party. They hired a huge bus and all these immigrants and their little kids and uh, the white Anglo-Saxon Aussies uh, all got on the bus and we go to this picnic place. They started drinking beer. We get on the bus, we're coming home and one of the big bosses was drunk. I mean, he was blotto. And me and my little buddy from my father's church, he's an Italian immigrant, I'm an American who learned how to talk Italian, and we're laughing and we're joking, and this fellow thought we were laughing at him. So here's a bus filled with adults and children. The big boss gets up, comes over to me and my friend, and he says, what did you say? We didn't say anything. And we're nervous, we're giggling, and this guy, I mean, he was huge. He takes his hand, whopping big hand, and he slaps me across the face. My head did do 360 then. <laughs> it felt like it anyway. My friend's father never said a word. Not one adult on that bus ever said a word. Nobody stood up. Nobody complained. Nobody got in his face. Everyone just sat quietly. I went home, I was crying on the inside, I was crying on the outside. I was only about 10, 11 years old. I was just a kid. I went home, I went and told my mother and my father, and I was expecting a fuss to be made. Someone's going to defend me. Someone's going to speak up. Nothing was ever done. And I came to conclusions in my mind. And the conclusion was not consciously, subconsciously, that randomly and for no explanation whatsoever, people will retaliate against me and I will be the victim of abuse and there will be no justice. I was 16 years old. We had come back to New York. The preacher had a full-time job and part-time, he ran the church. It was a full-size church. He was a very hard-working man. Not always a rational man, but a very hard-working man. Back in those days, we had church on Friday night, and we had church Sunday morning. I was 16 years old. My uncle was the assistant pastor. He also had a full-time job. Church would start at 7 o'clock at night. At 5 o'clock at night, the pastor would call the assistant pastor and say, Sam, I'm going to be late. I'm stuck in traffic or I have to work late. Can you preach? Uncle Sam, who was the assistant pastor, would say, uh, no, I don't want to preach. I'll call up Robbie and ask Robbie if he'll preach. They'd call me up, and with two hours' notice, I'd go to the big church, and on a Friday night, I'd preach for the pastor. This happened many times. 
The pastor approached me, asked me if I would teach Sunday school. The pastor approached me, asked me if I'd be the worship leader. We have youth group. There was, I was about 16, 17 at this time. Uh, one of the other guys was 26 years old. He was leading the group and uh, you know, at times they'd ask for different ones to share. And at one point he said to me, you know what? I really don't have the anointing for this. You do. I want you to take the Monday night youth meetings from now on. So as a kid, I was actually very involved in the church and carrying quite a bit of responsibility. Well, some months went by and somebody anonymously complained to the pastor and the pastor, without discussing anything with me, called me and my father in for a meeting. And in this meeting, without any rhyme or reason, started to berate me and accuse me of usurping the authority of this other youth leader who willingly and hopefully handed it over to me. And I didn't even know what the word usurped mean, meant. I had to go look it up later. And I found out it meant illegally taking authority and position that isn't rightfully yours. And he berated me and accused me. I'm a kid. I'm 16 years old. I'm the guy who stands up with two hours notice and will preach on a Friday night. I'm the guy you ask personally to teach Sunday school. And I'm the guy who leads everyone in worship for you before you get up and preach on a Sunday morning. Even at 16, I had enough common sense to know I should be asked is this true? Do you agree? Amen. I reacted the wrong way. I, took my, I put my head down and I took it, but in my heart, I rebelled against God. I got angry at God and I backslid. Now, beautiful for me that in my backslidden state, <laughs> I went to a meeting outside of our church and I had my first audible voice encounter with God. And God revealed himself to me in such a deep, profound way. Here I was living in sin. We're in worship. This preacher that was visiting, I, they moved in word of knowledge. And now I'm waiting for them to call me out and call me a sinner in front of folk from the church I attended that were visiting. And I, I was so desperate. I had gotten to the point where I was close to fist to cuffs with my father. I didn't like who I became. And I said to God, even if you have to embarrass me in front of everybody, I, I don't like who I've become. I want to get right. And I went to this church service expecting the evangelist to come out, get a word of knowledge about that kid over there, and call me out and tell everyone what a terrible sinner I was. And I'd say, guilty, uh, forgive me, forgive me. I just wanted to get right with God. And my stomach was in knots. And first night, nothing happened. I went back for the second night, uh, gotten for punishment. My... My stomach was like a, a, a tub of worms. And I'm waiting for God to rebuke me publicly. And what happens is, while we're worshiping, I hear an audible voice. And God says, I, I literally, I literally heard an audible voice. John says, and the voice of God was like many waters. It reverberated. In an instant, I knew what that meant. It went through me and it reverberated. And God said, I don't have to tell you that you're in sin. You already know that. I want to tell you how much I love you. And for the first time in my life, I saw a God who was different from the legalistic sermons that I always heard preached. I saw the heart of God 
to this day I'm 60, it still moves me. It has changed who I am. It has changed what I preach. So yes, I went through this horrible experience, but in it, thank God, I had an encounter with God that if that was the only way to have the encounter, I'd say, God, let it come again, purely because the outcome, God takes what was meant for evil and he turned it into good. But, but, I made conclusions in my mind because of those wounds. And I can tell you story after story after story in my journey of how I've had one experience after another where the most crazy, random, ridiculous things, people in leadership with me or above me, would come down and just crush me. You see, guard your heart. The conclusions that you lay down into your belief systems because it'll color your world and it'll be the issues you'll face later in life. Those demons that live in those thoughts, you have given them power. You have given them belief. See, Jesus could do but a few miracles in his hometown. Why? Because the people didn't want to believe in him. He could do but a few miracles. You've got to give God faith that is in agreement with him for God to move. And when you give demons faith that is in agreement with them, you give them the power to move and they will create circumstances in your life and they will be the issues you face. The importance of this sermon series is to start to clear up the damage in your soul so that you can minimize the issues you face in your future. Somebody say amen. So let me summarize 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We don't fight with weapons that are natural. No. The weapons we fight with have supernatural power to seek out, expose, and totally destroy demonic hiding places in the soul. Is that good? That's good. Let's go to the next one. We tear down and eradicate every thought pattern, every belief system, every ideology, and every wrong way of thinking. That is a contradiction, a deterrent, a stumbling block, or a mental barrier to God's way of thinking and His truth. We take hold of and bring into submission every thought that is contrary to God's knowledge on any and every issue and we make it comply and come into agreement with the mind of Jesus Christ. Is that powerful? But it doesn't, there's no quotation mark because I'm not done. In short, now listen to this. You might want to take pictures of this stuff. 
I do have notes if you want the notes. In short, listen to this, everyone. Get ready to shout. In short, we take the knowledge of evil, everything and anything that is in disagreement to the word of God, and we exchange it for the knowledge of good, everything and anything that is in agreement with the word of God. Next slide. And in doing so, we derail, dethrone, and defeat every demonic influence that has or ever had any influence in our lives. Hallelujah! Glory to God! Yeah, come on, stand and give the Lord a shout. Come on, give the Lord a shout. This isn't about me, it's about Him. The knowledge of evil isn't how to do wicked stuff. The knowledge of evil is any belief system that we have laid down in our mind that is contrary to what God says. Wow. Now take a seat. Watch this. Watch this. So in the garden... If demons will live in thoughts that are contrary to God's word and they become strongholds, in the garden, not only did Satan want Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because then they would be fallen and he would take the right to rule the earth and they would now have a fallen nature, but now with the knowledge of good and the knowledge of things that are contrary to God's wisdom inside of us, he has perpetuated open doors in our mind, in our soul, for his demons to build a nest and have control. And that's why Paul says, we don't fight would make believe saber swords. We have spiritual weapons. And they will expose the lies and the belief systems that have been embedded through us through the heartache and the pain and the hurts of life. And we will call those demons for what they are and we will call them out in the name of Jesus. And we will take every conclusion and every wrong judgment we've made about men, about women, about people, about family members. We will make every wrong judgment and everything we've judged wrongly has been like a judgment against us. And we will now turn those things upside down and we will take every belief system and every conviction and every wrong judgment and we will bring it under the blood of Jesus at the cross of Jesus Christ and we will refuse to believe anything that is contradictory to the word of God and everyone said yes and amen do you understand the principle in the spirit realm? That's why Paul says, though the promises of God are many, they are spoken yes by Christ, and the amen is spoken by us, the church. Unless we're in agreement with what God says, we are in the knowledge of evil, and it is the place where strongholds are built. Wow. 
victim mentality. You don't have a victim mentality? You like feeling sorry for yourself? You like telling people how difficult everything is and your voice goes a little bit like this? Victim mentality. You see, I had that. My oldest brother was the smart one. He was the firstborn. You know how parents, the firstborn, you give more attention, the secondborn, and you start taking less pictures when you get to three and four. <laughs> See, you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, most of us like the rest of us. He was the firstborn. He was the smart one. Anytime people came over, we'd hear about how smart David was. Joe was the secondborn. He was chubby, cute, had long curly eyelashes, curly hair, and had a very charismatic personality. They never said anything about me because there was nothing to say. No, 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 it's the truth. From my mother's womb, the enemy marked me with a curse. I was the sick one. If there was anything to say about me, you know, I, I remember six years old, seven years old, constantly my parents would drag me down the altar and everybody in the church would be crying and my parents would be crying and they'd be praying for me and they'd anoint me with oil so that God would heal me. I remember always having beds so sickly. I used to be skinny like a weed. I wouldn't mind being a little bit more skinny, but anyway, uh, I was always sickly. And because of that fear, inferiority, rejection. And so I grew up, not consciously, but subconsciously, always hearing about the accolades of David and the accolades of Joe. Not because my parents loved them or favored them more, but my perception, the way I laid stuff down in my head, the judgments that I came to, not even consciously, but subconsciously, enabled inferiority and fear and rejection to be in my life. I stopped dancing with those demons a long time ago. So a victim mentality, the only way that I got attention was when I was sick. Mom was so busy, she was working, dad was working. She had three boys growing up in an apartment building with one bedroom. Mom and dad had a bedroom, then there was a living room and the dining room and kitchen and bathroom. The living room had a king-size sofa bed that three growing boys would sleep in. A 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old. That wasn't fun. We could uncover a whole nother box of demons right there. <laughs> Mom was busy. Dad was busy. I got attention only when they had time to give me attention, and I was so sick. By the time I got attention, it had to do with my sickness. And so I learned that Pity and sorrow and comfort love was better than nothing. And so that became my comfort zone. And I leaned like a young plant. I leaned towards what gave me sunlight. And that became my, my, my uh, 
comfort place to get attention, negative attention. Any attention was good. Even if it was negative attention, at least I, I now had a little bit of spotlight. And you might and don't even realize how much you like to be a victim. You may not realize it. You feel sorry for yourself. You're a grown adult. You're talking to another adult, and you start talking about some of your hardships, and you start making a face like this. Oh. You don't realize it. It's a spirit. doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you're broken just like I'm broken. It means you're a, a contestant to be set free, a contender for victory. Amen. That's what it means. And you see, that mentality opens the door for spirits. That mentality allows spirits to make you a victim. I told you, people are going to get set free today. You could either be watching the clock or you could be hanging on every word. Your choice. I can't do this shorter than I'm doing this. I'm, every week I'm laying foundation. This will set you free. You can either live with the joy of getting negative attention and people getting around you. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. Oh, I'll be praying for you. Oh. Johnny, did you hear about Harry? He's got it so tough. God told me at the age of 14 that I had to hate that or I'd never get healed. And from the moment I decided to hate that, I started getting healed and then I started moving in the healing power of God. You see, that victim mentality or self-pity you have to replace those thought patterns. They became my comfort zone, okay? I had to trade my comfort zone, and I had to learn to say things like Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, but I've learned the secret of being content. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to get other people to cry. I've learned to be happy. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. How you doing? Terrific. Why? Because I don't want to have knowledge that is contrary to the knowledge of God. I'm not a victim. I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I'm not a victim. I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Don't be feeling sorry for me. Nowadays, today, if you want to feel sorry for anybody, you better be feeling sorry for the devil because I am not the victim. He is. He's under my feet. He's going to stay under my feet in Jesus' name. He's supposed to be under your feet. Put him back under your feet. Don't let him talk to you. Don't even say, talk to the hand. Say, talk to the foot. Talk to the foot. Get back. Get back to where you belong. You talk to the foot. Shut up. You have no right getting in my face. You need to be under my feet. That's where you are. Get under my feet. You see, a victim mentality will allow spirits to create circumstances that will always make you a victim and you will, voila, face the issues of life. Self-fulfilling belief systems. Inferiority. Oh, I'm not capable, I'm not good, I'm not like David, I'm not like Joe. I can do all things, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who lives in me, and he gives me his strength, and he gives me his power. Romans 8, 37, knowing all these things, I am more than a conqueror. I am not just a conqueror. I am not an equal prize fighter to the enemy. I am more than a conqueror. The reason why I'm more than a conqueror is because 
Satan is a conqueror. God didn't make me a co-equal with Satan. He made me a co-equal with Jesus Christ. I am more than a conqueror. When the devil meets me, he doesn't meet his match. He meets one who is superior to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Fear. For the reason I remind you to fan to flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands because God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but he gave you the spirit of power, he gave you the spirit of love, and he gave you the spirit of a sound mind. You didn't get the spirit of the world. You didn't get some spirit from hell. What was given to you as a gift from God by the laying on of hands was the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he has a sound mind. He is the spirit of love and he is the spirit of dunamis. Stir up what is in you by the laying on of hands. Get it into your head. Oh, no, well, I can't. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm this. I'm that. Uh Uh-huh. I don't have a spirit of fear. I have a spirit of dunamis. I have a spirit of power. I have a spirit of a sound mind because the Holy Ghost is the only spirit that's going to stay in me. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. And we could go on and on and on. The point is, I could give you so many more examples. The point is, you need to let the Holy Spirit uncover your demons. Stop dancing with them. Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Start, stop petting your demons. Stop feeding your demons. Stop inviting them to the table where you break bread with them. Hate those things. Call them for what they are and take every thought and every belief system and every judgment you've ever concluded that is contrary to God's perspective of life and contrary to God's word and tear those things down. Demolish those things. Eradicate them from your mind. Push them out of your belief system and fill your mind with what the word of God says and stand up in the morning and say, I believe I am who you say I am hallelujah let's stand and ask those that I've asked to come out the front and pray to start making your way you have been so attentive today I wish I could teach you all this stuff inside of five minutes. If I could, I wouldn't have to work so hard. It is. And it takes years of religious garbage and years of hurt. And there's a network of belief systems, line upon line, precept upon precept. You see, that's how God builds, line upon line, precept upon precept. But demons understand how the supernatural work, and they pervert the things of God. And they build line upon line, precept upon precept. So a lot of the stuff that has us entangled, the net of entanglement is thought 
systems and belief systems that are intertwined with emotions and experiences that go all through our life. That's why the Word of God is a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword. Some Christians don't understand the character of God and they use the double-edged sword against each other. And they preach with hate and judgment. It's a double-edged sword so that you cut through the knowledge of evil. Everything you've concluded in your mind that doesn't agree with the heart and the character of God. You start cutting through the nest place of demons. That's why Satan wanted mankind to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and the knowledge that's contrary to God's knowledge. See, he whispered to Adam and Eve, says, you guys know all the good stuff that God wanted you to know, but there's a secret knowledge. There's some other stuff that and not everything God says is exactly that way. There's, come on, I want to show you some other knowledge. Sound like the world? We face this all the time. Any secret knowledge, any other knowledge, it might have the appearance of good just like it did in the Garden of Eden. But it's evil because it contradicts the Word of God. It's not what God says. And anything that we believe that isn't what God says is belief in a rebellious system. And demons have the right to live there. Because rebellion is their culture. Rebellion is their home. I urge you. I believe God is taking us on a journey of revival. There's a part of me that wants to say, you know, I'm sorry that the meetings go a little bit long, but I, I believe God's laying foundations. We're, we're, we're going to see a breakout even more than what we've seen. But God wants to take us from the realm of our soul where we're beat up and broken, where we doubt, where we fear, where we resist, and take us to the realm of the Spirit, our spirit, where our spirit is always in agreement with His Spirit. I want to live from my spirit. I want to live from my spirit in agreement with his spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? You see, the conflict you have with your wife, the conflict you have with your husband, the issues that make you timid in work, the things that make you stumble and fail again and again, all comes from the knowledge of evil. Every knowledge we have that is contrary to the word of God. And the more we can recognize what the soul sounds like and silence it, the more we say no to that voice, the more we'll step into the Spirit and follow the Holy Spirit of God. How many of you want to keep coming with me on this journey? Amen. Amen. There are wounds, there are hurts. Horrendous things have been done. Some of you, your childhood is so dark, your, your mind, your emotional mind has deliberately suppressed it. Some of it isn't suppressed. 
I hate to even say publicly what all of us know as common knowledge that happens to children. And all of this stuff, it affects us. When the sun sets and the moon rises, and the moon sets and the new day dawns, it's not over. Even if it were over, it's with us forever. God has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He cares about the wounds in our soul, the wounds in our heart, the misery, the hurt, the pain, the torture, the torment. He cares about it. And Jesus Christ has come to set us free. While those wounds stay in us, so do the demons behind the wound. And God wants to make us brave enough and courageous enough to face our demons and say no more. I'm not going to agree with this type of thinking anymore. I'm not going to agree with these feelings anymore. I'm not going to agree with these emotions anymore. That's not what the Word of God says about me. I've believed that stuff all my life, you know, these negative things. But I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not going to believe it anymore. I'm going to eradicate these thoughts because I don't want to give the devil any place to hide in me. Where the devil hides in you is your broken place. It's your ugly place. It's your weakest place. Let's be like those heroes in chapter 11 of Hebrews whose weaknesses became their strengths. Let's bring those areas to the cross and say, no, no more. Jesus paid a price for this. Jesus paid a price for this. Maybe as a woman... Maybe you were abused and molested as a child and it followed you all through your life. Next week, I'm going to share with you a very disturbing but divine dream God gave me about 30, 40 years ago. I woke up from this dream in a cold sweat, panting and heaving. I woke up sitting up in bed. I thought the dream was real. And God spoke to me and said, what is this? And he said, in a couple of days, I will teach you about the anointing of the demonic realm. I started to rebuke it. That is a demonic phrase. The anointing belongs to God. And the voice and the presence of God left. And three days later, I was called into a situation that was so demonic, so horrific. And as I stood before this couple, and she started to reveal her past, the Spirit of God just started to speak things I've never heard. And it was all about the anointing of the demonic realm. I'm going to show you through the revelation God brought me through years ago. I'm going to take you to the valley of broken dolls. And I'm going to show you how demons work to set you up again and again so that you can recognize the root and take the Word of God to the root and cut it out so that you will forever be set free. Because where He sets you free, you start to take on and mirror His image, His strength, and His likeness.
Amen. You don't want to miss next week. I'm going to ask all those that are praying, I want you to fast this week for next week. Because we're going to go into the anointing of the demonic realm and into the bruises. I want you to fast with me at least one day. Fast with me one day. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you do it? Will you do it? Okay. I'm going to encourage you to fast. If you know there are things in you that need to break, I'm going to encourage you to fast. We're sons of God, and God wants us to live to the fullest of His image. How many of you want to change just a little bit more, hey, and be like Jesus? Amen. As we close, if you need prayer, come on out the front. These folk will pray with you. I want you to take this word today. I've got notes out the front. You could get a copy of the notes. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to start uncovering where the strong man hides in your life. He will. And then those belief systems, he will help you identify those wrong belief systems. And I want you to go to the Word and take what God says and replace what you used to believe about yourself with what God says about you. And that will be the beginning of a healing and a deliverance that will set you free and change you so much. So much. Amen. Every eye closed. If you haven't asked Jesus in your heart, it starts with coming to Christ. You must. You must be born again. Jesus said that. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit gives birth to spirit. You must have a spiritual rebirthing. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart and something's tugging at you today, come on, come on, come on. Put your hand up and say, I want Jesus. I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Put your hand up if that's you. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, put your hand up. All right. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. God is good. Amen. How many of you got ministered to today? Did the word minister to you? All right. Repeat after me, devil. You had me, but you don't have me. I belong to Christ. He died for me. He lives for me. He fights for me. And He is in me. And I am serving you sentence right now. All of your strongholds in my life are coming to an end. In Jesus' name. I am walking free by the blood of Christ and by the Word of God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I encourage you to do warfare. You pray this week. If you want to go to the supernatural, let's go head to head with the supernatural. If you want to move in the supernatural, get used to going head to head with the supernatural. If you want the Spirit of God to take you into the realm of the miraculous, you've got to get ready to go head to head with the principalities of darkness. 
and the first devil to tackle are the ones that have harassed you and held you at your weakest link. And you're going to take it back in Jesus' name. You're going to pray. You're going to ask God to uncover things. And you're going to start applying the Word of God. And by the time you come here next week, and God just gives you a bit more information, we're going to lay hands on you. You're going to get so set free. You're going to wish you had done this 30 years ago. Amen. 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 One last thing. Raise your right hand. And in your mind's eye, you're talking to God. And repeat, I believe I am all that you say I am in Jesus' name. Amen.